Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to the show. We are looking forward to visiting with you on Garden Success today. You can call us at 979-845-5689 or email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Uh, also, I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, if we have some people listening today that weren't when I mentioned it, uh, Garden Success is now available by podcast. Uh, there are a number of different podcast carriers, including including uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, and uh, several others uh, that are carrying the show. So you just have to search for Garden Success and see if it pops up. And that way, uh, whenever you miss a show, you can go back and listen to the podcast. You can also do that, by the way, on the computer at the KAMU-FM website. Uh, there are past shows being uh, posted there. Uh, and of course, you can listen live on the computer too. So if you're outside of the radio range, that would be one way to listen live and to call in. And occasionally we have some calls from outside the range. Well, let's see, what are we gonna talk about today? What we're gonna talk about is today is the last 80-something degree day in a while. And that's a good, that's a good thing for me. Uh, I I don't know. I, I, I kind of like, sometimes I think I like the cold more than I like the heat, especially excessive heat, uh, because I know how to get warm, but boy, when it's hot, hot, uh, and I have to be outside, that's a little bit tough. But anyway, uh, it just reminds us that we are getting close to the first freeze or first frost, which will come who knows when. Uh, we have our average dates when we expect to see it, and the average date, believe it or not, for the first freeze is December 2nd. Now I know a lot of you are thinking, no, 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 it's in November. Well, it depends on which data you use because the old data that went back a number of years, uh, it was in November. And then as we've added another decade to the data, we're now looking at December 2nd being the average freeze date. Now we can have a frost when we don't have a freeze. Uh, so you might have your pl your warm season plants killed or damaged, uh, at least damaged severely, by that first frost, uh, which could occur before it freezes. Uh, but anyway, we need to be getting ready for that. Another thing to note is that a lot of our plants uh, are going to grow really well. The cool season plants are going to grow really well, but in this conditions we're having now. But once it really cools off, they slow down. Uh, so if you look at the rate that uh, broccoli, for example, would grow in October, November, uh, and then you look at the rate that it's going to be growing in, in late December and January, for example, uh, it's going to slow down a lot. And so that's one reason we plant these things a little bit earlier. We can always cover them up so that we don't get hard freeze damage to, to those kinds of things. But uh, it's just a, a good reason to remember why we plant things early. Well, let's go back to the phones, or go to the phones now. Uh, our number again, 845-5689, and talk to Kate. Hello, Kate. Hello. I'm glad to speak with you again. You're such a great source of gardening information. I that, rely boy, on you. Boy, Kate, that $20 bill I gave you was well spent. Thank you very much. <laughs> Speaking of cost, 
money. Tiny garden, 15 by 30 feet. It really shocked me. So anyway, I've got to get some control here. Okay. Um, this Kate, is my question. Well, Kate, let me let me stop you. You cut out right before 15 by 30 feet. So I missed uh -oh. that first part. Um, you mentioned $20, and it brought to mind that I just did a calculation of how much money I spent on my 15 by 30 foot, it's kind of a courtyard patio garden, yeah. um, from spring till now, Yes. and it blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> no, I appreciated hearing you last week or week before talk about the four-inch pots. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to go. That's one tip I'm going to do. Maybe I but should. But here's my question. Okay, go ahead. Um, are you familiar with the product called Hasta Grow? It's liquid? I am. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to use that, and, and do you think it's worthwhile? Well, let me put it this way. I, how you use it is to read the label and use it like they tell you on the label to use it. I personally am not aware of research on has to grow that would show its efficacy, whether it's effective or how effective or not or whatever. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, if there may be some out there, in fact, after the show, I think I'm going to go uh, do some searches through uh, research-based information and see see what I can find. Okay. Um, I also heard or read somewhere that when you're planting a new plant, and in my case it's violas, um, that you shouldn't fertilize when you plant them. You sh uh, okay. And I'm wondering if you advocate that. Well, you shouldn't put dry synthetic fertilizer in the planting hole because it's a salt-based and you've got tender little roots coming out and if you mm. especially if you overdo it uh, you can burn they things. could burn and they mm. don't they don't need it in the way that you would be applying it there what I do recommend is you can uh, use a soluble liquid fertilizer those are available typically synthetic yeah. but there's yeah. organic versions of that and drench them in because there you're using an extremely low dose of fertilizer in the water. That's okay. And you're just That's what I did. You're just watering them in. But remember okay. it that just kind of helps a little early vigor. Uh, the important thing is that your soil is is fertile and healthy in, in terms of uh, nutrient content. Uh, so that would be the number one thing I would worry about. Well, the ag and out. Uh, so I'm hoping my, I do that every year, so I'm hoping my bed's good. Yeah, um, it probably my, is. I had another question. Da, 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 da. Oh, um, due to, um, well, I think it was an irrigation issue. Um, I have a lot of dead shrubs. And the HOA that I'm a part of seems to be dragging their feet I mentioned to them that fall is the time to plant shrubs. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Oh, yes. Fall is the best time to plant yeah. any yeah. kind of a woody ornamental. Tree shrubs, woody vines, all of those. Yeah. Fall is best. Now, there's nothing wrong with December or January. Uh, even No, they, they want to wait till spring, and I think that's a bad mistake. Well, it's not going to mean the shrubs won't live. Uh, but it, 
if we have a good early hot dry summer and those spring planted shrubs have not been well cared for and gotten roots down uh, the likelihood of them struggling or losing one would be higher uh, mm -hmm. fall planting just gives a little head start which is i think important and uh, mm -hmm. so uh, plus we got a lot of other things to do in the spring <laughs> <laughs> for sure um okay i feel like i'm kind of whistling in the wind because the HOA management's in charge of this. Uh, but if I sent you photos of our complex, what our beds look like that are basically burned up shrubs now, mm -hmm. uh, could I get some advice from you as to what you recommend to plant there? Yes. Uh, show me from a distance so I can see the overall setting with shade patterns. Okay. And, so, and tell me which way you're pointing when you took the picture. Sure. Okay? Yeah. And well, part of the problem, in addition to no irrigation or not enough irrigation, is that I lost every shrub on a west-facing brick wall. Okay. Yeah. I, I and that's why that. I appealed for more water, but it didn't work. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, send those, though, to my AgriLife Extension Office address, Brazos County Extension Office, and you can find that easily online. Uh, because that's going to take me some time to work through that. Okay? Okay. Thank you, Kate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, Kate mentioned uh, how much you spend on a garden. Gardeners should never add up how much they spend on their garden. That's that's not their business. That's <laughs> I don't know whose it is, but yeah, you don't do that. It's kind of like when you're when you're climbing a, a, a long a tall tree or a skyscraper. You never look down, right? I mean, if you look down, you lose your focus, and it, it it's scary. Uh, actually, what I tell folks when they talk about how much you know it costs to do all the things they do horticulturally I would say think about it this way you may have a vegetable garden and you're spending money doing it there are inexpensive ways and there are ways to save money and that's of course certainly more expensive ways but have you ever asked a hunter how much a pound of venison cost <laughs> after the rifle and the deer lease and uh, all the stuff that goes into hunting or have you ever asked a fisherman how much they uh, paid for that pound of bass you know a nice bass boat uh, you got to keep it licensed and yeah you get the idea so leave us gardeners alone uh, we are an inexpensive hobby and uh, even though it may seem a little scary to us all right well let's see i wanted to uh, talk about uh, some things going on around town uh, this, let's see, on the, on the 17th, Thursday, the 17th of November, the Brazos Valley chapter of the Texas Master Naturalist are joining with the Post Oak chapter of the Native Plant Society. And there's a program, it'll be at the AgriLife Extension Office, and uh, that's out by the tax office in Bryan. Uh, it's at uh, 6.30 p.m. And it'll be presented by Cherie Colburn. Cherie Colburn is uh, an author. Uh, she is an uh, expert on a number of things, including landscape design. And uh, the program will better help you understand the how-tos and the what-fors of garden design. And it's open free to the public. 
That's 6.30 at November 17th. And I'll just say this. I can personally vouch for Sheree Coburn. Way back when I got started in, in extension, I was in Montgomery County, and Cherie was in one of my county uh, master gardener classes. And so that's the first time I met her. So I've known her a long time. She's a great presenter. I know you will enjoy the presentation. Uh, also, uh, on, let's see, what was the other date I had? Okay, November 15th, a couple days earlier, the A&M Women's Club Garden Interest Group is meeting at 9.30 a.m. at the George Bush Presidential Library in their education room. And the presentation is called Eat Your Herbs. It's presented by Gloria Hunter, Marianne Rilal, and Jean Ward, members of the Texas Time Unit of the American Herb Society. So they're going to talk about all kinds of benefits to your health uh, that, that have been uh, documented with herbs, uh, as well as what their favorite herbs are. And then they'll also show you how to use them in food. Uh, that's probably perhaps the best part. Uh, you, it's easy to grow herbs. Herbs are easy. By and large, they're easy. There's some that are challenged, but in general, they just kind of grow. Uh, and so if you want to learn how to use them, uh, this will be an opportunity to do that. And again, it's November 15th, the, the uh, Garden Interest Group, 9.30 a.m., George Bush Presidential Library. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones now and talk to Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Skip. I have three kind of questions at the moment. Right. I was out walking with a friend in a subdivision, and I found some antelope horns, milkweed, you know, growing side the road. Mm -hmm. I would like to transplant them to my own garden. Hmm. Is that possible to do at this time of year? I wouldn't do it now. Uh, antelope horn. I am not a milkweed specialist, so let me lead with that. Uh, I don't. There are. Uh, perennials and their annual types of milkweed and I know the the bloom on the antelope horn but as far as the best time to transplant it my guess would be uh, when it gets a little bit colder is it it's still alive above ground and blooming and everything yes it's already bloomed oh it's already bloomed okay uh, well first of all if you leave it a little longer there's going to be seed pods on it and so I would let those get on there and dry and uh, collect seeds, uh, number well, one. Well, I think I'm past that already. Oh, they got I away? Some seeds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to have to look look into that. Uh, my guess is going to be in, when it's a little bit cooler and the plant has been kind of killed back a little bit. Oh, but, okay. But I'm not an expert on that one, and so I don't want to mislead you. I'd rather know before I tell you. All right. That's, All right. that's fine. Um, I have uh, some low Katie Ruelia, again, mm -hmm. that I would like to separate and transplant. Okay. Do I do that now, since now, you know, fall is supposed to be the new time to yep. garden as opposed to the spring? Yeah, now's a, now's a good time uh, to do that uh, transplanting. You can do it a little bit later, too. It's just fine. Uh, you want to water them in real good? You know, those Ruelias, uh, especially the, including the Katie, the short ones, uh, mm -hmm. They they really seed out a lot, so you probably have a lot of little volunteers coming up too. Uh, well, yes, and the deer eat them, so I want to oh. pick them up and put them someplace else. Okay. Well, uh, I think that now would be a great time to do it. And while you're doing it, if it's a pretty good sized clump, you could even quarter it and plant each of the four if you need to cover a bigger area than you have plants for. 
Okay. Well, I know it's going to die back if we get a frost, yes. but I, I think they're very hardy. They are. They will come back. And my last concern is I have a large bed of Asian jasmine under the trees in the backyard. And there's one middle section that has died. And all around the periphery, it's still green. Hmm. And I don't know why it, that particular area died. Um, and what I should do about it. When, when it was dying, did it wilt and then the leaves turn brown or, and maybe fall, fell off? Or, or what, how, did it, how did it die? Give me kind of a mental picture. Well, I think it was a very gradual thing, but uh, the leaves did turn brown and fall off. And I thought it was just because the deer were eating in yeah. that area. But it just seems not so. It's not coming back. Right. Okay. Well, the Asian jasmine does not have a lot of pest and disease problems, but it mm -hmm. can be affected by certain root rots in the soil. And if if those the plants in that area were affected uh, by that, uh, planting in that area again is is not going to help. Uh, and oh. if and if it is a root rot, you might see it spreading to the other areas because they can spread underground. Uh, the kinds that attack. Uh, uh, Asian jasmine. The, the only other thing would be something sprayed on it or thrown on it or um, I, and I there it's just uh, kind of wide open. I, I was at a place one time there's a big dead spot in the Asian jasmine and I questioned and questioned and come to find out they had made homemade ice cream that summer and they just took that bucket of salty water and tossed it right out there in the Asian jasmine. <laughs> so uh, that's a hard one to diagnose. But think about anything along those lines that could have happened there. Uh, the only other thing would be to find a plant that's sick and uh, trace it down and dig that one individual plant up with the soil and, and take it to the uh, plant clinic on campus, uh, the uh, state plant clinic, for them to actually, uh, you know, look at under a microscope and, and maybe culture out and find out exactly what disease that is. Okay. I have lots to do. Okay. Thank well, you very much for your help. I think, uh, I think now you're my second time I've had a question on why is my Asian jasmine dying? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. You're going to get good at the answer then. Well, <laughs> it's a it's a difficult one. All right. Well, thank you so much for mm -hmm. the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Our phone number is 979-845-5689 or by email gardensuccess at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu and i was talking about things going on around town uh, i just wanted to uh, mention that uh, the brazos valley orchid society meets on tuesday november 20th from 7 p.m to 9 p.m at fire station 6. now that's on the corner of tarot university uh, drive going out toward the bypass. Uh, you can bring your blooming orchids or if you have some that are not doing well uh, they can give you some suggestions perhaps bring that back to life. Uh, orchids uh, I, I like to say orchids are not uh, hard, hard to grow. The, um, the moth orchid, the one you see in the grocery stores primarily. Uh, some of the other orchids can be quite a challenge. The moth orchid is really easy but it requires certain things for it to thrive. 
So uh, as, as far as care, it's best to care for them less than care for them more. In other words, uh, you know, once a week you soak the root system and let it dry out uh, completely, don't have standing water in the pot. Well, that's the easiest thing to water in the world. You know, fill it with water, sit there 10 minutes, pour it out, and you're done. Uh, it ne they need certain kind of light, not direct sun, uh, but they're easy to grow. And uh, I have... Uh, I have a number of them. In fact, uh, you know, I tend to go buy a blooming one because I don't have that color. And then now I've got a little collection on the windowsill. Uh, if you've got a, a bathroom with a really bright window, uh, that is a good place uh, to put them. Not direct sun, but a, a bright window. Uh, they like our room temperatures in the home. Uh, of course, if it's a, a heat vent or a cold vent, that, that won't do as well. But they also like uh, higher humidity. And so if you can do some things to kind of increase the humidity, some people put a tray of gravel with water in it uh, underneath them to just kind of humidity rise up there and, and help. I've never done that and might have done okay. Uh, but, of course, the ones in the bathroom are getting a steam shower pretty often. So uh, that may be part of why they're doing well. All right, well, let's go back to the phones, uh, number 845-5689, and we're going to talk to David. Hey, David. Hey, how's it going? Well, thank you. Good. This is uh, largely a report more than questions, but uh, you're free to comment and disagree, whatever. But okay. uh, I, uh, sometimes I think you want to know kind of what our experiences are, so here we Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Uh, one of them is maybe equivalent a little bit with what you said already about fertilizer, because I've certainly read and I've also had good results with when I'm going to plant, I you know dig up the soil and mix in some especially slow-release, uh, primarily, or, or certainly as much as possible, slow-release fertilizer into the soil before I plant. And by the time I mix it up, it's not concentrated in the planting hole. Mm -hmm. But, but that, that certainly, to me, is, is it worked well. Uh, so I wouldn't want anybody to think that, unless you, of course, disagree, that, that you know, when, you, when you're getting ready to plant a bunch of stuff, that mixing some of that into the soil probably not a bad idea as long as mm -hmm. it's not concentrated in the planting hole. I don't know if you want to comment on that. Yeah, I would, uh, like, I would like to comment on it. Um, okay. I, I agree. Uh, Slow-release fertilizers mm -hmm. and organic fertilizers uh, tend to release slow. There's, there's a couple mm -hmm. that are one, especially blood meal, that can be a little hot. Mm -hmm. But uh, in general, they're mm -hmm. very slow release. They, they microbially decompose over time. You're not going to burn your plants with them. And that same is true with a slow-release uh, synthetic. Uh, but uh, I think the the distinction I was trying to make is with the, the general dry uh, synthetics. I've seen people that, you know, they'll throw a handful in the bottom of the hole and set the plant on yeah. it almost, and that's not good. If you want to uh, amend your soil, in fact, the best thing to do is amend the soil in the whole bed prior to planting, uh, and then as the roots grow, there's going to be nutrients available everywhere. So I, I, that's right. a good point. Yeah. Well, that, that was one comment, and then I also just kind of, I've been growing fruit for a long time, and so uh, my my general comment to start with is if you want fruit, uh, grow pears, figs, and blackberries, <clears throat> and if you want aggravation, grow peaches, plums, and <laughs> apples. Uh, so, because I've grown them all, and uh, yeah. given up completely on the apples, because mm -hmm. it just it, just one problem after another. Peaches, I had early success when I first started growing peaches, and I've had nothing, really, almost nothing but problems since. So trees just you know, you know all the problems with peaches around right. here, but <clears throat> plums to almost the same extent. Persimmons kind of in the middle area section. I, I've had some luck, and they're pretty reliable. But uh, but 
anyway, so I, I, I kind of like persimmons, and they're, they've been okay. Mm-hmm. But one other comment on the pears, <clears throat> I grow five different varieties. One, the Moon Glow, I've never had any luck with. The other, I really think are great. Uh, for the most part, or, or the Orient, my old standby that's been around for over 30 years and limbs die and I cut them off and it just keeps growing back more limbs. And, yes. <clears throat> and then the, uh, the Leconte is my favorite. It's got a thin skin and it, and it matures in like August and easily eat the skin and all. It's almost like, man, it just came right out of a grocery store or something from, from somewhere up, up, uh, higher north. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, uh, I don't know how many people have tried that one, but it's its a great tree. It's, uh, by the way, they're all somewhat susceptible in my book to uh, fire blight. That's but, correct. I, and, but, but those are somewhat lesser lesser inclined. Yeah. And then uh, my probably my most productive tree is pineapple pear, and I've mentioned it to you before. Uh, it's an oddity. It, 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 the, blooms and produces pears about the same time as the others <clears throat> and they were they started to turn yellow and were pretty nice size in early september well they're mostly still on my trees because i pick them the seeds are not for a long time weren't even really turning black they didn't taste very good the whole deal about putting them on your counter and letting them get soft to me ended up with a bland soft pear so I, I, if you can protect them and you and you want a good producing pear, pineapple's a good one. But as I said, I'm still I pick one. You know, I could pick one yesterday, and it's still very firm. Every week, it's gotten sweeter, mm-hmm. and so you just got to have enormous patience with them <laughs> and a way to protect protected from squirrels, <laughs> yeah. which I do. I, I, I want long. You probably don't remember this, but I sent you a picture of my hot wire system that I use, which uh, is uh, a little unusual, and I probably should get a patent on it. But in any case, I've been able to keep the squirrels away. And so, but it is very unusual in that I I don't think they're really worth eating during all of August, September, and October, but they're finally uh, getting uh, very tasty. Well, that's good good to know. Well, it is. It's, it's, it's people. And I'm, I'm mentioning this because this is a time of year, of course, that people are going to start looking for fruit trees. And so I thought, well, it might be useful. Yep. I, I continue to have one more comment on the global. I mean, figs. I've been. They've been very productive, and as you probably know, Celeste is is really a, a great one. And uh, I've had some luck with Texas Everbearing, but they still tend to not be as good and they tend to open up in the end if you get a little rain and, and then they, they sour or get bugs in them but right. but i love this celeste uh, it did completely freeze back and and uh, so it's regrowing uh-huh. um, but i i'm a big fan of those all uh, right hey I, and go ahead I, I was just gonna say i need to probably get on i got some other calls waiting but oh, okay uh, that's fine i but, didn't mean to give you too long a speech there but well, it's okay uh, but i just want to give you that report and yeah. also one i'll make one more quick comment and then uh don't let people stop you from growing pole beans in the fall i've probably produced 10 pounds already on my pole beans so that, that's and, great and, uh, what kind of yeah, what, what so, variety did you grow uh they're they're kentucky wonder 191 which is okay. the white bean one okay, okay. Yeah, that's okay, good. Sorry and, to get so long-winded. But. All those pears, are, those are long, old-time pears, been around a long time. Uh, if anybody was writing names down, uh, I just want to point out that Orient is not an Oriental pear. Like some people say these right, are Asian right. pears or used to call them Oriental pears. Orient is a variety, uh, and it's, yeah, it's so... Yeah. 
and the last the last variety, by the way, was Shinko. It's an Asian. It is an Asian. Pear, it is an Asian, mm-hmm. and it, it it's been producing well. It and it's an excellent pair. So yeah, okay. All right, I'll let you go. Thanks. You bet, John. Thank you for the call. Or excuse me, David. No, John. Excuse me. <laughs> We're going to John. Thank you. I don't even know who I'm talking to. All right. All right, John. I think I finally got my act together. How are, are you, you doing? Are you there? <laughs> I am. I am here. <laughs> good. Good. Uh, that was a lot of information. That was good. It was. Uh, I I really am curious about his squirrel protection device. I, I might have to get your, his number from you and give him a call. But yeah, John, if you're or David, if you're listening, um, would you email me uh, at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu if you want me to send your email to people who are curious about this squirrel uh, device. All right, John. Okay, I, uh, Mary has a question about, we've got uh, a mandarin satsuma mm-hmm. miho or maiho, uh, and she wants to know what the fruit looks like when it's really ready to eat. It's yellow now, but do, is there a, some sign of when they're really ripe to right. eat? I am really glad you asked that because I was talking to somebody just the other day who who was trying to figure out when to pick those. And uh, number one, uh, congratulations for you for having a Satsuma. You got it through uh, February 2021 freeze. Did uh, it's in? It's basically in the greenhouse. Okay. So, okay. Uh, it, well, it, you're cheating. Was, That's cheating. Was, well. Maybe so, but we're trying to get a fruit. There you go. Well, okay, satsumas, you don't want them to turn orange. Uh, By the time they get orange, they are dry and mealy. So when they first start to blush, uh, you know, get a little of the yellow on them, kind of coming into the green, somewhere in that process, you should pick one and just look at it and, and then taste it. Uh, and and kind of figure out yourself for the variety you're growing. You're growing miho. The uh, you know what does it look like when I think it's at its prime, uh, and I think that's the best way because I could try to describe the color, but you know, I mean, you, it's your tree. You're looking at your fruit, and I think you can do that. But do it before they get fully uh, yellow orange color. Okay, that that's that's good to know. And uh, we're talking about pruning fruit trees now. She's got plum, apium, apple, pear, fig, olive, and nectar plum. When should we look to be pruning those for next year? I would like to do all my pruning in the mid to late winter. Uh, You don't want to wait until, you know, the blooms are coming out. Uh, It's a little late. Uh, With the bark slipping, you can kind of get some tears of the bark where you're pruning and things. So you want it still to be firm and attached to the wood. So uh, I would try to get it done in January myself. Uh, and then in, when we get into the spring season, that's the fastest time of wound healing. So you're not getting a wound during warm weather sitting there open. Okay, so sometime in mid-January is... Yeah, that'd be good. Any time in January would be fine. Uh, and depending on the year, early February may be good. Okay, in in my garden I have uh, cucumbers are, are really actually just really coming on. I've got flowers on a lot of them how am i what needs to how do i get them through this cold couple of weeks oh well here here's the challenge Uh, you can get them through the cold let's see it's it's not well we're gonna have a 38 night i think um maybe so that that one 
that they're not going to like that at all. Uh, but it's not like we're having freeze and frost. So I would probably just put kind of a clear uh, cover over the hole. They're on a trellis, I assume, or are they on yeah. the ground? Okay. No, they're on a trellis. Yeah, just get a clear cover over there to create a dead air space so the uh, warmth of the soil can rise up a little bit, make a little bit of difference, and stops the cold wind from coming in maybe. Uh, but the the challenge you're going to face now is it's going to stay kind of cool, and so their rate of growth, development, ripening, and so on is slow is slowing down almost to a crawl. Uh, cucumbers don't ripen, as you know, and so you can pick them at any size and eat them if you like. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, I would wait, give them as long as you can, and then when we're going to have a freeze, probably do the harvest everything on the plant at that time. Yeah, I'd like to get another couple dozen of cucumbers. Okay. If I wait that long. What, about, do you about, know what variety you're growing a cucumber? I, it's okay if you don't. I'm just curious. I'm always curious what people are growing and how they like it. So. Mary, what is a cucumber? Anyway, my last question is, how about my collard greens? I, I, they're looking really wonderful. I, do I need to cover them? or? No, not at all. Not at all. They're one of the hardiest things in your garden. Now, if we're going to get down in the mid-20s or something, yeah, I would definitely throw a cover over them just, just to uh, help them a little bit. But they're, they are pretty darn hardy. They're really looking good, too. And, and I'm told they're, I'm not a, a big collard eater, but I'm told that they almost uh, get a little sweeter as they start to get some of that really crisp cold. I think that's correct. Mm -hmm. It's for producers. Okay. No, it's burpless cucumber. A burpless, okay. That's fine. I just was curious. Uh, I'm always wanting to know what people like and how it's doing. Well, I think the burpless is doing better than the... She's also. We also planted some pickling cucumbers, but okay. not doing as well. All right. All okay. right. Well, that's it. And we're... we're, we're uh, we're going to miss this 60-degree uh, weather out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. We, we have a whole new season of growing and things coming up here in the cool. So. Okay. Look at the upside, I guess. I don't know. Hey, John, I appreciate the call so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All, All right. right. You take care. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689. Or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Uh, looking at the emails, I don't think I've done any emails today. Get on those. Uh, looking at the emails, I had a question that came in from Bill, uh, and Bill has a holly. Uh, that uh, was dropping some leaves, having some problems. Uh, earlier we'd, we had talked about it, and he said he dug down, and the roots uh, are are confined to the same area that they were in the pot. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit on plants. Um, one of the reasons why you hear me say to uh, cut the root uh, cylinder in three or four places around the cylinder is because roots will wrap up. To get a to get a good sized shrub or tree to grow in a pot, you got to wrap a lot of roots around in that pot and in, in order to have it successful. And so when you get under underground, those things tend to stay the same. And I've, I've seen a number of situations where plants died, they were being watered, 
Uh, and when we went and looked, the root ball was dry because here's the deal. They're pumping water all day on a warm day or a hot day. And where the roots are is all in that little cylinder uh, unless they've been planted a long time. Uh, and so it pumps the cylinder dry. And so the soil may be moist around it, but it, it's not wicking in fast enough to make up for the for that. The longer plants in, the better. But if you cut the roots when you plant, uh, I know it seems horrible to do that, but do it. Uh, or uh, even better, you can wash uh, the outside of the root ball away. And I know that seems horrible, but remember, we plant bare root plants. And bare root plants are literally cut off. The roots are cut off. And you get this little collection of very thick roots that are not the roots that take things up. They have to grow side roots to be able to take things up. And so if we can plant a bare root plant and it does okay, we certainly can do a little bit of damage to a container plant's roots on the outside. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Uh, and and that that's just, I guess I'll leave it at that. But um, I think we'll go back to the phones now. And I believe we have Sally on the phone. Excuse me. Uh, Sandy. Hi. Hi. Hey, I'm, I'm doing well, Sandy. How are you doing? I'm good. Hey, good. I just moved here a year ago, and I just planted pretty flowers at random. And I bought a Turk's cap. And I, it was only like four inches tall when I bought it. And now it's about six foot wide and about six foot tall. Is this <laughs> something I can prune back? Because I put it in a garden and it's too big, but I, yeah. it's got so many flowers. Is this uh, something I can prune way the heck back or just a little? Or what you should can, I do? You can cut it off almost at the ground and in the winter and it'll, it'll come back. It, it won't hurt the Turk's cap. Turk's cap spreads underground. Uh, it's not, you know, running all over the place like Bermuda grass, but it does spread. And so often you may want to go around it and kind of dig down and, and dig up some of the, the plants as it's expanded its root ball a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, that's a good, good plant. We recommend it. It's got so many uh, nice features, but it does, <laughs> it does grow up, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's taken up. The lady who lived here before brought in organic soil, and you can drop anything in here and it'll grow. So okay. I thought maybe it was the organic soil, but it's it's the Turk's cap. Yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah. no, the soil makes it even more vigorous. There's no question. In fact, I would say, you know, if you're if you're not wanting to grow a giant plant, uh, don't fertilize it at all, uh, and it it will do okay in the <laughs> soil that it has. It's just a really tough yeah. plant. I have lantana that's next to it that's about six foot tall, too. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't fertilized any of it. It's All her right. soil. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right, Sandy. Thank you for the call. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's see. Let's go and talk to uh, – no, let, instead, let's go to the email. Uh, Sam emailed and had a couple of questions. Um, he has a cherry tomato plant with lots of flowers and some green tomatoes and wants to know uh, where to move them to protect them in the cooler weather, inside the house or in an outdoor vinyl greenhouse. Well, wherever you can keep them warm and give them light would be where you move them. Now, if, if it's just for a few days, uh, I would just put them in the house. That would be fine. But if you want to move them in and out, I don't know how big the containers are, but uh, whenever you have days and it's getting you know uh, up above 70 or even 65 is fine. Uh, you can move them outside 
and give them some sunlight and, and then move them in at night when it gets cold. And if you don't want to go to that trouble, uh, just, just move them in. Uh, but just uh, like I was saying a while ago uh, with some other things, the tomatoes are going to move really slow now. And uh, I wouldn't say give up on them. I just mean that the amount of change you're going to have between, you know, let's say the next three weeks compared to three weeks in, uh, you know, the early fall is, is dramatic. And so just get ready to pick all those tomatoes off, including the green ones, the larger green ones, and uh, bring them inside where they can ripen and give you some enjoyable tomato flavor even on into the, the winter, early winter season. Sam also has been looking for a, a colorful flowering plant for a shady area uh, in front of the house and wants to know if camellia is good to plant there. Well, camellia likes a shady area, but it likes a really rich, moist, highly organic matter soil, and it can't stand our water. And so the water is kind of the deal breaker. You can create, uh, you, we can create a soil in a raised uh, planting bed uh, that suits pretty much any plant we want to plant, uh, but the, the, the killer is our, is our water. I would not recommend planting them here. Uh, if you have rainwater and you could get them in a shade where they're not going to use as much water and uh, maybe water them that way, you might get away with it, but I think, I think that's going to be too much trouble. Uh, so when it comes to flowering plants in the shade, we, our number of options uh, goes down. Uh, we, we have hydrangea, which has the same issue with the sodium in the water uh, that can grow and give color. Often we will use things like caladiums in the summer to give color uh, in a shady area. We have a number of plants that are very low-growing, like annual perennial, that will bloom in the shade, but that's, a, that's not the showy uh, description you're kind of looking for uh, in that area. So. Uh, that would be what I what I think about those, Sam, and thank you for that email. Uh, uh, Mercedes uh, sends a picture of a lemon tree with the leaves curling, and it's quite a mystery. And I'm going to have to work on this one a while. Uh, when we see lemon tree, when we see plants with the leaves curling up on themselves, usually when you unfurl the curl, there is going to be uh, some insects inside that are feeding on it. So I would unroll those and look for insects. And if that's what there are, then you're going to have to deal with those. Now, uh, you've, Mercedes used neem oil for bugs, but the, the problem is when it curls up and the insect's inside, you can't get the neem oil to the insect. And neem oil is not a poison, neither is insecticidal soap. And they, you give the bugs a bath in, in the neem oil. Now, I said it's not a poison. Neem oil has some of the active ingredient in it, uh, but there's two forms of neem. One is it, the ingredient will say azadiractin, and that's just an extracted insecticide out of the neem plant. Neem oil is pressed oil out of the seed that has some in it, but uh, not as much of the active ingredient. So the oil you need good coating in order for it to do what it does. So the other the other thing when we see these kinds and, and different plants will will curl, um, but I, I, when I first looked at it, I thought maybe it had been exposed to a hormone type herbicide. Some of the broadleaf herbicides we use in our lawn, uh, especially things that contain 2,4-D, for example, uh, those can in warm weather volatilize and drift and affect plants nearby. Uh, that 
But the problem with that theory is the new growth looks good on your plant. So I think we're dealing with an insect inside of there. Uh, so give that a shot and uh, you can certainly come uh, email back or call in and we can talk further if you don't find the bugs. Well, let's go to the phones. Again, our number 845-5689 and talk to Sally. Hello, Sally. Uh, this is Susan. Susan. Yes, okay. Susan. I, I, uh, my, my glasses aren't good. I'm not reading the names they're holding up in there in the control room. <laughs> well, Susan, we'll talk I also. The same problem. <laughs> well, I just recently um, heard about expandable shell, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Uh-huh. But I live in Hill County. We have black clay soils. Okay. And I am working on creating a new garden area. So I'm dealing with unbroken um, soil. Okay. I'm wondering what your opinion is on that and if maybe a couple of the beds I'm going to create, I should try that or okay. what do you think about that? Well, okay. Expanded shale, and what it is, is it's a shale, which, you know, that's a, a rock that they dig out of the ground. Uh, what they do is they, they take it out of the ground and crush it into smaller particles, and uh, they expand the shale by heating it to an extremely high heat. Uh, I think maybe moisture or steam may be involved, but, uh, and it causes that shale to expand and create all these pores in it like if you've ever seen the lava rock on a barbecue pit you know the it just all holes all around it the shale microscopically uh, would look like that uh, and you put it in the soil and so it has a structural integrity compost is great even composted wood things like that are fine but they eventually decompose away and so that space sort of collapses back in with the weight of the soil with shale it holds it open but you have to put a lot of it on to make any good. If you just sprinkle some on top, put an inch on top, mix it in, you're not going to benefit it. You need to get about four inches of it and rototill it in as deep as you can. And then you've done a long-term benefit to the soil. Now that might get expensive if it's a large area, uh, but that's the, kind of the story. And we did a lot of research up in the Dallas area, AgriLife Extension, uh, that really kind of taught us about the shale, what it what it does and how you need to use it. Okay, is that something that's easily easy to find in stores or nurseries or it, do you have to go to certain places to get it? No, you should be able to find it in garden centers. Now, they may not, um, I can't remember around town, just I, I've seen it somewhere, but um, if they don't carry it, they probably can get it for you. Uh, but I, I think I think I've seen it here in town uh, as well. So uh, just kind of call around, and they'll be happy okay. when they get fertilizer, when they get a um, compost and peat moss and all that kind of stuff into the store. They they ought to be able to get shale. So four inches, and how? Like I'm really digging down deep to try to loosen that soil mm -hmm. up, and well, I'm trying different things in different beds, but um, yeah. how deep should I um, kind of dig dig down and break that soil up I, I for would, four inches worth of this? Yeah, I would mix it with the top maybe six inches of soil, uh, and that's oh. kind of what uh, the old rear tine rototillers can do and basically what a spading fork is going to do. Uh, you know, you're going to get down about six inches of and mixing it up, but the more you can kind of 
catch the soil at a time when it's friable, when it breaks apart, not too wet, not too dry, uh, the better you're going to get a blend of that shale in the soil. Do you think that is uh, an expensive route to try to, because I'm going to do some raised beds too, or is there a, uh, is it cost effective or not? Is it worth it? Right. (laughs) So when you have a bed that is going to have a perennial a plant in it or a woody woody shrub, things like that. If you do the shale, you've spent your money up front and that soil is going to hold up for a long time and be good. Uh, if you if you are having it and if you're doing a bed like for, oh, I don't know, annual flowers and perennial, maybe some perennial flowers. This is all garden, garden okay, beds. Okay, yeah. Then maybe the shale isn't as important because you can always add an inch of compost each year and get... Um, get a, uh, a good quality soil and plus the compost brings nutrients and helps uh, feed the, the microbes that are helping you in the soil and the shale, mm-hmm. shale is not going to bring nutrients or be a food source for microbes. Okay. Well, you gave me a lot of information there, something to think about. That was thank a lot of much. information. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Thanks. thank you for the call. All right, let's go back to the emails. Uh, we're gonna, we had a question. Sue uh, has, is gonna be doing some mulching and a bunch of large fallen leaves have landed in the bed and she wants to know, do I just throw mulch on top of them or uh, do I pick them up, rake them up and then put the mulch down? Well, I'm assuming uh, with the question that your mulch is, is not leaf mulch, uh, that it's probably you know a hardwood or um, I don't know, one of the other, many other mulch materials. Uh, I like to mulch with leaves, but I grind my leaves up a little bit with a lawnmower. It helps them stay in place. It opens up more surface area on the leaves. About every time you break it and chop it, that you get more surface area for microbes to work. Uh, and it makes a good mulch, uh, and it uh, decomposes over time. It's what the forest does. And you know forests are successful, and nobody's fertilizing the forest. Think about that a minute. Nobody... Uh, is fertilizing the meadows either. I'm not talking about on a farm. I mean nature and nature. Uh, And so uh, I would be inclined to grind up leaves, put them down. If you want to throw a pretty mulch on top, you can do that. But uh, I don't know. That that is your call. Uh, but uh, it, the the leaves themselves just know that they have a, a lot of nutrient nutrient value. Uh, John asked about wandering Jew. Uh, and how do you go about establishing wandering Jew? Now, wandering Jew is one of the plants that vines along the ground, not rapidly. I mean, it, it, it doesn't take off across the yard, uh, but it vines on the ground. It has very succulent stems, and uh, it can have various colors of leaves, uh, but the, the uh, I don't know which kind you're planting, but it really doesn't matter. It's easy to establish. Uh, often, it's hard to get rid of. Uh, now, now, one plant called Purple Heart looks kind of like Wandering Jew. It's, it's not specifically the same plant. Uh, and when you get it planted, you're, you're going to have a time of it digging it all out and getting all the pieces that break off because they'll keep growing. Uh, but Wandering Jew can be a pretty, per, pretty attractive uh, ground cover. Uh, I think it's of, of note that it does want uh, moist soil to do its best. Uh, and it prefers, um, some of them especially prefer to be out of direct sunlight, 
uh, with just a bright, bright dappled shade. Not deep shade, but a dappled shade. So uh, just plant plant it like you would any other plant under those conditions, and and I think you'll you'll have success. I think it's interesting to note that um, the the uh, proven winners group uh, is a group that offers a lot of specific kinds of plants that are. Uh, uh, kind of a marketed according to the pr proven winners uh, label there you know it's kind of like uh, saying an earth kind rose that's a special kind of rose well this is proven winners now interestingly enough they they're making their uh, perennial of the year for next year 2023 a purple tradescantia which is a tradescantia is that's what wandering jew is uh, and it's called feeling flirty uh, and it has it has greenish gray in the leaves. It has uh, white streaks through the leaves, and it has a pinkish uh, tint, pinkish purple tint to the leaves. So you can go online and see what feeling flirty. I guess be careful in the search there, but uh, feeling flirty uh, with that beautiful variegation. That's going to be the national plant of the year that they do uh, for the Proven Winners line. Uh, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. I, I didn't expect to see a Tradescantia or a Wandering Jew be, be made a plant of the year, uh, but apparently they think a lot of this one, and it is gorgeous. Oh, by the way, I should, I'm sorry, I, I should have been uh, more specific. It's, the, it's a house plant of the year, not the plant through all the landscape. It's the national house plant of the year. All right. Well, let's go to the emails for another uh, email. Uh, David is, um, uh, let's see, talking about nearby trees. Uh, let, oh, I'm going to have to read over this one a little bit. I think I'm having a little trouble. Oh, David's giving some, some squirrel advice. I see. Uh, pruning low limbs. Yes, that's a good idea. If the squirrels can't jump from the ground and grab a limb, you've removed one way they get into the tree. Uh, nearby trees with limbs where they can jump from one tree to the next or a power line going through the tree uh, or through the area that they can run down. Those are all ways they get in. Now, once we keep all the other uh, ways out. Uh, some people create a, uh, a um, solid um, galvanized metal uh, collar around the tree and place it high enough to where the squirrel can't jump from the ground above it and but they can't climb over it so you're going to have to fashion that and trust me squirrels are very creative and innovative uh, some uh, david also adds a hot wire uh, to the top of a of a chicken wire cylinder around the trunk so that the the uh, cylinder um, uh, has a hot wire on the top i guess that gets our attention and let's see he uses pvc along the ground as a conduit to get the thing over there. So anyway, that is uh, one way that you might protect those trees, uh, going along with the conversation we were just having a bit earlier. Uh, one last uh, question. We've got about a minute left. Uh, th this person uh, was anonymous, but they said, uh, can tall Esperanza be pruned? And there's a type, there's a couple types of Esperanza that get very, very tall, or can get very tall, and they have their blooms way up high. At this point in the season, if you prune them, they're not going to be able to regrow and bloom. So I would leave it, and I would enjoy the blooms, and once we get some cold weather and it's killing it back, then I would cut it off at the ground. 
and uh, and I would I know sometimes it survives some above ground, but cut it off at the ground, get a fresh new plant coming up in the spring, and you will you will have a very beautiful thing. So the if the tall Esperanza printed at the ground in the winter. Now there is a type called Gold Star. It's a variety, Gold Star, and it's a much shorter statured plant. And you might look for Gold Star if you're not happy with the height, ultimate height of that uh, type of Esperanza uh, that you're referring to. Well, I hope you've been enjoying the show. Uh, it's a call-in show every week, and we're here on Thursdays at noon. Tell your friends about it. Uh, we look forward to visiting with you again next week. And in the meantime, uh, check us out on the podcast or online to listen to past shows. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.